front um, places where um, big old speakers and the music is blaring and the bass is pumping and people are outside and they're dancing, kind of like at celebrations, they're dancing is a must. Uh, people are out there dancing. And uh, I remember as we're riding the, the school bus to get to the church in, in Santo Domingo, some of our people are like, man, here in Latin America, here in Central America, here in the Dominican Republic, um, the city never sleeps. It's like 1.30 in the morning and people are still hanging out. And it's loud and it's crazy. And, and even as we go down to Ecuador, I remember, um, you know, the, the place we go to in Ecuador is up in the, you know, up in the northern parts near the, the border with um, Colombia. And uh, Amazon area, not many people go there. Those who live in the capital city, most of the people who've grown up in Ecuador have never been uh, to Sucumbios, which is the region that we go to. Um, and so uh, it's out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and I remember as we were driving through there, there would be in this little town called Lumbaki, which is, you know, a, a, in, a, in a town of little towns, it's a bigger town. But there would be, be these, like, little nightclubs, which basically, I mean, it's like a tiny little thing, but they call it a nightclub, and there's, like, lights that are, like, Christmas lights around it. And same thing, music is pumping, and people are dancing, and they're laughing, and there's all kinds of noise coming out of it. And, and I remember thinking to myself, man, this is it's pretty crazy. Like, they're having such a good time in there, and... Um, and, and both of these situations in the Dominican Republic and Ecuador, in the midst of the loud music and the thumping bass and the people dancing and the smiling going on, as I drove by, um, I couldn't help but feel like so heavy-hearted as I looked at those two nightclubs filled with people, not even filled with people, but that had people there. The music was there, the dancing was there, the fun was there. But in my heart, I felt this massive, aching emptiness that there was no life in that place. There was no joy in that place. And what broke my heart as I, as I think about these times is I feel like as they have their fun in those places and they put their head on their pillows later that morning, I couldn't help but think that this celebration that they're doing is the closest that they will ever get to the joy of heaven unless somebody tells them and brings in the message of hope. As you think about this juxtaposition of, of cities, or this, this, this city, um, I want to talk as we continue to look in the book of Nehemiah. We're going to look in Nehemiah chapter 11 and chapter 12, and we're going to see that picture contrasted with a similar picture that comes from Jerusalem, where similarly there is music, there is dancing, there is loudness, there is bass. People could hear the noise coming from the city, but there was life and there was joy and there was celebration and it made people curious. It made people want to see what was going on in that place. We're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 11 and 12 today. Next week we're going to look at Nehemiah 13. It's going to be, we're going to finish out um, this series on Nehemiah and then um, I'm going to begin a sabbatical season for about seven weeks. But in Nehemiah chapter 11 and 12... We've gotten to this point where they've rebuilt the walls of the city. The last couple weeks, we've looked at how they've rebuilt the hearts of the people within the city. And now they're about to dedicate the city walls back to God. But the problem is they've got the walls, but nobody lives in the city. <laughs> what good is a city if it doesn't have people? And so chapter 11 and chapter 12 talk about the repopulation of the city of Jerusalem and the ensuing celebration that causes people around to say, what's going on in Jerusalem and how can I be a part of what's happening there? Today I want to talk about how we can be a community 
such that what happens in here and the music and the dancing and the celebrating and the noise causes a joy that causes people outside of our community to say, what's going on in there? I want some of that. Today I want to talk about what it is that makes a community winsome and attractive and joyful in order that outsiders become curious so that they want to be part of what's going on inside. How will the city of Jerusalem be repopulated, and what kind of people would God use in order to create that? Because a life-giving community is always reflective of the life-giving people who live within it. Community always reflects its people. So what was it about this one? going to read verses 1 and 2 in chapter 11, and then we're going to uh, talk about some of the rest of these verses. Now, the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. And the people commended all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Starting in verse 3 and then all the way down to chapter 12, verse 26, it gives a list of a bunch of people who moved into Jerusalem, either at that time or 100 years before when the first wave of exiles returned uh, back to Jerusalem. So what's going on here? What kind of people is God looking for in order that we might become a community that, whose joy is reflected in our community and causes curiosity among those on the outside? Here's the first thing. We understand three things, and here's the first one, that God's calling matters more than our comfort. That God's calling matters more than your comfort. Here's what's happening. You've got a city. They need people in it. But nobody wants to go into the city. It's not like today where the city is where everybody wants to gather. Right? The city is where you go in order to get a name for yourself. The city is where you go where every, uh, every uh, different uh, ethnic background gathers. The city is where rich or poor gather. The city is where people want to be. It's the cultural, artistic, entertainment hub of a state. People want to be in the city these days, but in those days it wasn't like that. In those days, if, if you recall, they were in exile in Babylon, taken over by Persia. And so when the Uh, Cyrus edict was given in 539 B.C. that you can go back to your hometown if you want to go. A group of people went back. When they came back to Jerusalem, they realized that this city has been destroyed and has been living, lying in ruins. There's nothing there. Everything's been burned down. There's no stores, nothing, nothing around. And so everyone would settle in the countryside. And they would hang out there. And there they would build their homes, and there they would raise their families, and there they had their land, and there their kids could run around. They could farm, they could agriculture, they'd do all this stuff, and that was their way of life. And so here, as we've seen in Nehemiah, he issues this call, and he says, listen, does anyone want to come and rebuild this city? And the response is, yes, let's rebuild the city. And for 52 days, they give themselves to build the city, and now he says, now I'm not just calling for 52 days, I'm saying, will you uproot your life? and everything that you know, and will you follow the call of God? You know, as we uh, worship on Sunday morning, uh, we're going to finish worship service, and uh, by the time, you know, 45 minutes is up, we're going to be done. And every Sunday, a bunch of questions are asked, and the number one question that I hear asked after worship service on Sunday, it's not, what did you think of our songs that we sang? What did you think of, what did you get out of the message? Or, hey, was there anyone missing today? Number one question that's asked on Sunday afternoon after church is, 
where are we going to eat today? Right? Where are we going to go? And usually the response of a hungry gentleman is, I'll go wherever you want to go. I'm so hungry, I could eat anything. And so the friend or the wife or the cousin or the sister, whomever it is, says, okay, how about um, I'm really having a craving for Chipotle. Can we go to Chipotle? And the guy says, oh, I had Chipotle last night. Um, let's not go to Chipotle. Oh, yeah, that's fine. How about um, I'm a girl. I've got a hankering for some bread. Can we go to Panera? Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to cut down on my carbs these days, and so trying to limit my, my carb intake. So um, how about somewhere else? Um, how about, well, Chick-fil-A is closed. How about, um, how about McDonald's? Let's go to McDonald's. Well, I told myself I'm not going to do fast food anymore until that next wedding, until I, so I can fit into that suit. So hey, I don't think I'm going to do... I thought you said you could eat anywhere. Anything is fine. Well, everything is fine, but there's just some disclaimers. There's some fine print that comes along with it. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? You could say, yeah, I'll go wherever you want, except for this place and this place and this place. And sometimes, hopefully not a lot of times, that's the way we can be when it comes to God. God, I'll serve you wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do except for cleaning the toilets. God, I'll go wherever you want me to. I'll even go to the Dominican Republic. But no, I don't want to go to Central Asia. That's too far. God, I'll do whatever you want to do, you want me to do. Oh, except for serving youth or serving kids. I won't do that. A lot of times we have fine print when it comes to what we say we're going to do for the glory of God. And here he's saying, will you be involved in the rebuilding of the heart of the city? I'm not asking for 52 days. I'm saying, will you uproot everything, all of your comforts, all of your way of life, everything that you know, your friendships, all of the space that you have, and move crammed into a tiny little city where you don't know anybody and you don't know this way of life? Will you do it? Who would volunteer for that? Well, so they divided up everybody. Count off, one through ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I'm going to draw one number, and if that number is your number then you've been chosen to go live in Jerusalem. So they draw a number. Number seven. Who's got number seven? Everyone has number seven. Stand up. And then they said, if you want to come to Jerusalem, to leave everything behind and come and serve God in Jerusalem, then come. Some said it's too much. And others said, God, I'll go. And in verse 2, it says, the people commended all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. The ones who came and said, God, I will follow you. I'll give everything. I'll give whatever it takes because this is your people and this is where you're calling me to go. I'll go and I'll do it. And these are the kind of people that God is looking for because these are the kind of people who understand what it is that serving God is a joy and a privilege that we get to do. We don't have to go to Ecuador. You don't have to go to DR. You don't have to go to Central Asia. If God calls us to do it, we get to be a part of the mission of God in the world. Guys, if God is calling you to go to Central Asia or to go to Europe or go to another state and you want to stay here, would you go for the call of God, even if it trumps your comfort? Would you go? And if your deepest desire of your heart is, I want to go to Europe, I want to go to Asia, I want to go to another state, if God calls you to stay here, would you be willing to stay? Would you be willing to go where God wants you to go and be where, you want, where he wants you to be, over and against where you want to go and be, simply because of the call of God? Is that enough for you? 
I remember hearing from a pastor years, about maybe 10 years ago, He's, he's on the board of a missions agency and, and works a lot with Korean missionaries. And he talked about this time where this wave of missionaries from Korea uh, went to Cambodia. And as he asked, why is everyone trying to go to Cambodia? And they, for, for whatever reason, there's this call in their hearts. They felt like, we want to see Cambodia come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. We want to see Cambodia saved for Christ. And so all of these missionaries went from Korea to Cambodia. And as he went, he saw that almost every single one of them were located within the capital city, Phnom Penh. And as he would ask them, hey, what are you doing here? Why are you living here? They said, we're missionaries. We gave up everything to come because we wanted Cambodia to come to know Jesus. And he said, where are all the missionaries? They're like, we're all in Phnom Penh. And so he looks down the street and he says, church on top of church on top of church on top of church that's been started by Korean missionaries. Down the street in Cambodia, in Phnom Penh. And he says, most of the people in Cambodia, do they live here in Phnom Penh? He said, no, 80% of Cambodia lives in the countryside. He said, if 80% of the population is in the country, then why are all of the missionaries in the capital? Because the education is good for our children. Because the health care, we have access to everything that we need. Because the food is better here. The economy is better here. We can get everything that we need at the local stores here. And he said, I'm not telling you to put your family and your health on the altar for the sake of ministry. But here's what I'm saying. And this is what he said to these missionaries. He said, if that's your attitude, then Cambodia will never be one for Christ. If you're willing to say, God, I'll go to Cambodia as long as it's not in the countryside. God, I'll go to Cambodia as long as it's safe and it's easy and it's comfortable for me to go. It's how a lot of us serve God. Say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do as long as it doesn't impinge upon my so-called freedoms that I should deserve because I live in the land of plenty where life, liberty, and the pursuit of my happiness is my ultimate aim. Says that's not what comprises a community whose joy will be heard all around. Says this is what is. This is what is. People who consider the calling of God to be more important than my own comfort. That's the first thing. Second thing that we see. Second thing that we see. What do we understand is that God's applause matters more than people's applause. Starting in chapter three of verse eleven until chapter twelve, verse twenty-six. There's a list of four groups of people. The first one talks about the people who left the countryside to come and live in Jerusalem. These people who abandoned it all for the sake of the call. And then you see a group of people who were, were the priests and the Levites who left 100 years earlier. And then you see other priests and Levites. And then you see a, a description of the places from which they left to go and move into the city. And as you look at this, I, I, you, know, you, could, you could choose any of these paragraphs. But in verse 4, it says, uh, From the descendants of Judah... Athaiah, son of Uzziah, the son of Zechariah, the son of all of these people, moved in. And it says in verse 6, the descendants of Perez who lived in Jerusalem totaled 468 able men. So again, you see, from the descendants of Judah, Athaiah, son of Uzziah, the son of all of these other people. So you're Athaiah. If you're Athaiah and you moved into the city, wow, your name is written in Nehemiah's journal. And for all the world to see, your name is there, right? This is Athaiah. 
But what if you were one of the 468 able men who moved into the city? You gave everything up and you said, I volunteer my family to go because we're going to live for the call of God. If you're one of the 468 able-bodied men, able people who moved in there, you are not Athea, would you be okay with that? If they said, hey, Athea and 468 other people came, uh, but they forgot your name, (laughs) would you be all right with that? Because a lot of times this is what we want, isn't it? We serve for the glory of God. We understand that. But at the same time, I'd like a little bone for myself too, right? I'd like for people to recognize the work that I did. Here are all of the people who are going to make this church run when I go on sabbatical. It's uh, Keishla and Kirsten and Gian and Rick and Carlos and about a couple hundred other people. If your name was not mentioned, would you be okay with that? Because a lot of times, a lot of times serving God is a thankless job. And you don't get recognized. And you don't get praised. And your name becomes like a number in the hearts of some people. And they don't say thank you. And they don't take you out to eat for all the times you've taken them out to eat. And they don't say thank you for all the things that you did when it's your birthday. And they expect you to pay for them. Sometimes serving God can be a thankless thing. Is it enough for you, though, that Jesus is your reward? Is he enough? Because though they were forgotten by Nehemiah, forgotten by people, God did not forget these people's names. It didn't, God didn't say, hey, number one of 468, what's up? Nice to meet you. My name is God. He didn't say that. He said, I see all of these people. In fact, 1 Chronicles 16, 9, it says, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen the hearts of those who are fully committed to him. That God sees everything that you do. Is that enough? Is he enough for you? This week I was at a retreat in Indianapolis, and there were a couple high school students who were leading praise during this time. One was a fellow named Jason on the guitar. He went on the guitar. He was singing. Another guy, this is cool, his name was Nehemiah, and he was playing the keyboard. And at the end of one of the nights, as we were having the time to pray and respond to the word of God, um, I just, you know, I said, if you, if you want to receive prayer, you want to live for God. I want to live for God. I want to give my life to Christ and stand up. And, and so um, this cat, Nehemiah, stood up, and I looked at him, and I was looking at him. You know, lights were kind of out, and I was like, I, I, knew, I knew what he looked like, but I was like, all right. And so I, I walked over to him, and I started praying for him. And I said, Lord, uh, thank you for Jason's heart. Thank you that he loves you and that he's willing to step into places of, of, of service and leadership. And I started praying um, this beautiful, powerful prayer for Jason. <laughs> In Jesus' name, amen. He said, Pastor DL. I said, yeah, man. My name's Nehemiah. <laughs> I was like, oh, snap. Those last five minutes, Jason got your blessing. I'm so sorry about that. But even though we forget, we forget people. God doesn't forget. God doesn't forget. He sees everything that you do. He doesn't get you confused with somebody else. He doesn't reward you for what someone else did or punish you for what. I'm just, but he, he knows you. When my Elijah started kindergarten, um, his teacher, she's pretty strict and she was a disciplinarian. We loved her for it. She, uh, she would, I, I don't know exactly what she would tell the kids, but Elijah came home early one, uh, one week from, uh, you know, early on in the school year. He came home and he said, Daddy, Daddy, are you a teacher? <laughs> I said, no, daddy, uh, daddy, sometimes daddy teaches, but I'm not a teacher. And he said, because 
Mrs. Sercanti said that teachers have eyes in the back of their head and they can see everything. And so I wanted to make sure you're not a teacher. <laughs> teachers may have eyes in the back of their head. They say they do. But God's eyes are looking, always searching, always seeking for those whose hearts are fully committed to him. It says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, God is not unjust. He will not fail to reward you for the love you've shown him as you have served his people and you continue to do so. You think no one noticed what you did for God? You think everyone forgot like you'll never be announced in the announcement time. Thank you for serving these people. Thank you for the thing that you did. Thank you for all of these things. You think you, because here's the deal. If no one sees it, you can't get a reward for it, <laughs> right? But Nehemiah says, because God sees, God will reward you. And what I want to ask you as I ask myself is, is that enough? As you cook for 30 people in your house, church, and as they walk out, they say, see you later. They don't help clean up. They don't offer to host next time. They just say, see you later. I got to get the kids to bed. And you feel like nobody recognizes. Is knowing that I did this for the glory of God and for the love of God, is that enough of a reward for you? Jesus says, when you do your acts of righteousness, don't do it so that people can see you. Because if you do, you've already got your reward is the unseen eternal reward of the smile of God and what he gives to you. Is that enough for you to keep on going and to keep on laboring? Because if it is, man, then the joy of such people as they gladly, it's not like, hey, one day I'm up and one day I'm down because, ah, oh, it was a bad day. Why was it a bad day? Why was it a bad day? Were you not faithful? No, I was faithful. Ain't nobody see what I did. That was a great day. That's a great day for you. You gave everything you had to God, and he sees it, and one day a time of reckoning is going to come. When we sing, Christ is my reward and all of my devotion, is he enough for you? Because when the people of God gather in that way and Jesus is enough, man, that joy will make people on the outside curious. That's the second thing. The last thing that we see, the last thing that describes these people that God's fame matters more than theirs. Right? God's fame matters more than ours. And so these people move into the city, and they begin to populate the city. And uh, months go by, in verse 27 of chapter 12, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The singers also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netophathites, from the Beth Gilgal and the area of all of these places where the singers had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. This city is bumping, and it's happening, and the bass is kicking, and people are excited about it. There's a joy within that place. It's almost like, you know, as you, as you think about Jerusalem, um, like I said, I juxtapose it with the thumping bass and the dancing of Limbaki, Ecuador, of Santo Domingo. 
but there's something distinctly different about the celebration in Jerusalem. So here's what happens, and starting in verse 31 until verse 40, it tells what happens is that these two groups of people, these two massive choirs begin ascending the wall of Jerusalem. They begin ascending the wall, one led by Ezra, the revivalist, one led by Nehemiah, the reformer, and they meet together, and then it says they ended up at the temple. They purified themselves because the difference between the celebrations of the world and the celebration of the community of God is that the celebration was all about Him. It was all about worship. It was all about the glory of God. See, he didn't, Nehemiah didn't throw this celebration to say, guys, 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 um, I just want you to always remember who led this reform. It was me, so this is a celebration of the greatness of Nehemiah. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. He didn't say, hey, all of you, especially the ones who worked at the Dung Gate, you guys come over here. I want to I honor you guys. He didn't say that. Like, it was, this is all about, all about the fame and the glory of God, and they understood that. And the servants of God that find joy in their ministry and in their serving in their lives understand that life is not about me. It's all about him and his fame and his glory that goes beyond all fame. Mine doesn't do that. Yours doesn't do that. Our glory might not even make it out this door. But we're living for that. He says, no, those people who understand and who comprise a community who makes outsiders curious, they give it all up for God. The fame of God is more important than any of our names. You know, we uh, have weddings now and then, and, and uh, our guests from our friends are workers in Central Asia do premarital counseling, and we do some of that as well, and a lot of folks getting married here. Uh, some, sometimes we'll, we'll have weddings of people who are older and some who are younger. Uh, in general, you know, it's cool. Get married whenever you're ready and whenever God brings person into your life and you're ready to do that, pray about it, get some good counsel. But sometimes um, I, I, I get frustrated when people marry young, not because they're not ready, but because when people marry young, usually it means that they have bridal parties who are very young. <laughs> and sometimes I feel like some of the bridesmaids forget that their role is to shine a light on the bride in her glory. And they want to make it about themselves. Wait a second, wait a second. I should get matched up with the best-looking groomsmen. Hold up, hold up. Why am I the last one on the end? I'm closer to you than she is. Wait a minute. Why does my dress, why did I get this color dress? Don't start the wedding yet. Don't start the wedding yet. Don't start. I've got to clean my makeup. I've been crying. It's not about you, bridemaidzilla. It ain't about you. It's about the bride. Come on now. But it's like all about, oh, oh, I, I, I need to be the one at the center of attention. So, uh, so they're always doing something, trying to get in the way of all of the pictures, just in case that single man sees me so that I can, like, come on, it ain't about that. It's not about that. And sometimes we can be like that when it comes to serving God also. It's like, yeah, you know, I, I just want to make sure that, that people notice me. It's, it's, it's all about God still, but, but I want to get a little bit of my action in there as well. You know what I'm talking about? Don't think about other people. Think about yourself. Right? You know how it is? You know, it's, it's interesting, right? Because what's the attitude? I think here's a good litmus test. What's a good attitude? 
as you serve God. Not in, in, in all of the good stuff that happens, but when you serve God and things aren't going so well and it gets hard, what's your attitude then? If our heart is grumbling, complaining, ah, none of my students come out to class, ah, my house church members, <laughs> they, I don't know what they do. They stole the offering, or I don't know. Uh, Ah, oh, these people, they stand in the way as I mop the floors, and can't they get a clue that they should at least move out of the way to a place I haven't yet mopped so that their dirty shoes don't go on the wet floor? Ah, oh, why are they doing this? If our attitude is constantly complaining as we do the work of God, I'm almost certain that people aren't getting curious about the greatness of God <laughs> when they see us. In fact, they're drawn a lot more to me than they are to him, and it's not for the right reasons. That guy says he loves God. Why is he so angry? He says he's got God's joy in him. When will that communicate to his face? <laughs> he says he loves God so much. Why is he always so stressed out? And when we realize, man, this is for the glory of God. It's not for my fame. It's for him people begin to realize, wow, even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, man, I want to know what makes them so joyful. I want to, make, I want to know what makes them so joyful. So it says in verse 43, this is the upshot. And on that day, chapter 12, verse 43, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. What are they hearing? It's not the music. It, didn't, it doesn't say four times. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, singing because God had given them great songs. The women and children also sang the sound of singing in Jerusalem. It doesn't say it. four times in that verse, it talks about the joy and the rejoicing of the Lord that comes because they realize this is all for Him that we have so much to be thankful for because he has done this for us. And that joy of that city caused people around to get curious and say, what is it that they're doing? What is it that they have? Who is it that is enthroned in their city? And I, when I think about uh, these songs, you know, we talk about these different cities in Lumbaki and the DR. I... For whatever reason, I was reading um, a testimony of one of our people, um, Stephen Hong. He, uh, in, in 2010, he uh, went to Haiti during the earthquake. And um, I was looking up something in my computer, and I found his testimony, and I, I read it. And he talked about how um, he was at a concert with his house church at First Baptist Oviedo. I think it was David Crowder or somebody was there. And... Um, this lady from Z88.3, which is a local radio station, she came up and she talked about how she was um, on a mission trip with her church in Haiti uh, when the earthquake hit. Um, thankfully, none of their people were hurt or injured or anything like that. But she talks about the response, about how just the craziness and the insanity that ensued. Devastation. Right? You can imagine what Jerusalem was like when the Babylonians attacked and purged it and, and just destroyed it. Um, Port-au-Prince, the capital city, the rest of Haiti was leveled, was just crushed. Uh, people were crying everywhere. 
there was the smell, rotting stench of death, indescribable destruction and devastation and brokenness. And this is what Melanie McKay was saying. She said, in the midst of all of those sights and sounds and smells, one thing rose up above all of that. It was in the middle of the capital city, the songs of the saints, the people of God worshiping God in joyful song, thanking God that he had spared their lives, that they were alive and that they were going to give their lives in order to rebuilding this city. And as Stephen heard that testimony, he said it was right then and there that God said, you are going to go. And he said he couldn't shake it. Something about that city and its joy that made outsiders want to know. And so he went for the glory of God. Min Sun Kim, another sister went. Stephen went again. Another sister named Jane from New York went. And as the Lord would have it, Sometimes, guys, it's not so much that the city needs us to go, but that we need to go in order that we might receive the blessing of God in that place on the other side of obedience. And there, Stephen and Jane met, and they fell in love, and they produced two beautiful little children, and they're building the kingdom of God. What happens? What is the sound that is coming out from our congregation? What are people hearing? What do they hear as they look at your life, as they look at your house church, as they look at the way you serve? What are they hearing? They hear the sound of joy that makes people say, whatever is going on in that little warehouse building, man, we got to be a part of this. What happens in here makes people out there curious. It should, it must. And the community is built upon the backs of people who understand these things. It ain't about us. It's about him, it's about God, it's about Jesus. From wherever we are, because the story of Jerusalem in its brokenness, the story of Port-au-Prince, Haiti in its brokenness is our story too. That we were lying in ruins, we were broken, we were destroyed, we were burnt down by the enemy. We had nothing, but someone came and entered into the brokenness and got his hands messy and dirty with the brokenness, not sterile, clean with gloves on, but he went full on into it in order that one day he would say, not only do I understand your brokenness, but I will take your brokenness upon myself. And Jesus went to the cross to experience the ultimate in brokenness and destruction and devastation. The ruins, life became ruined in order that on the third day God raised him to life. Out of the ashes we rise in beauty in order that we might bring this message to others. Jesus died, entered into our destruction. Not only so I could say, I understand you, I feel you. Even Anthony Bourdain, Kate Spade, I feel you, I understand that. He doesn't just say that, but he said, I died and rose again in order that you might not live, need to live this way on earth or in the life to come. That's what Jesus has done for you and for me. And the more we understand this, the more joy will be not based on our circumstances, not based on how people treat us or how people acclaim us or recognize us, but our joy is based on the simple fact of the worth of God. And because we're thankful, we give everything in glad and joyful witness. And so what happens in here, we open the doors and we let that sound go out into the world so that a broken world can see and they can ask is it possible? What happened there? What happened there? What happened there? What happened in your life? Is it possible in mine? And then we point them to a Savior. We point them to Jesus. 
and indeed through him, the ruins come to life. That's our call. That's our mission. That's our inheritance in Christ. Let's go. Let's live it. Let's be the church. Such a time as this. Let's pray. Let's take a moment to respond to the word of God this morning. How is God calling you to respond to him now? As you think about the words spoken over your heart today, what are the ways that you fall short of being part of a kind of community that really revels in the joy of the Lord? Is your comfort more important than God's calling? Is your name and being recognized more important? Being recognized by people than being recognized by God? Is your name the name that you live for above God's? Let's make some choices right now. Say, Father, if you send me next summer, if you call me next summer, I'll go. Maybe for some of you guys, God has been putting in your heart Central Asia. Pray about that. I'll tell you what, an emotion, if it's just emotion, it'll fade. But if it's a calling, it won't fade. You run from it, but it's not going to fade. Pray through that. Wherever God might be calling you, let's come with a posture of obedience. God, I want to go. Maybe it's in, in, in our attitude. Our eyes have been fixed upon ourselves or wanting the praise of one particular person as we do our service to God. Maybe we want that one girl to say you did great or that one guy to say you did great. I see you. Let's shift our focus then if that's us. Let's pray for our church. Lord, make us into a community that honors the Lord Jesus. Out of us ruins, from us ruins, through us ruins, coming to life, the beauty of his name. God wants to do this. We're here because our world needs us people turning, returning to Jesus. It's our call. Let's do it. Let's live for his glory. Let's pray for a minute or two, just really committing our hearts to follow Jesus. Let's pray together, committing our hearts to the Lord God. Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us your word, for showing us through real life history, through men and women who are willing to make a sacrifice, to cling to the promise of God and to believe that you are better than anything this world can give. Father, help us to believe it. Not just help us, but Lord, help me, help each individual to really believe that you are better than anything and everything world can offer and this world can take. Help us, Lord. We live for your glory. We want to live for your glory. Help us to be faithful, obedient, day by day, step by step, moment by moment, calling by calling, so that when we get to the end of life, we'd hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you, Jesus. We love you because you've loved us first. In 
Jesus' name we pray.